You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to episode 12. Hi, Emily. Hi there. We're so excited to be with you again today for Together in Literacy. Today we're going to be talking about the Peter effect. So we're excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a little bit of feedback we want to start with. As always, we really appreciate the feedback we receive from our listeners. So this is called Wisdom from Seasoned Practitioners from Pam from LLP. And she says, it is great to hear from people who have worked in the field and administered their craft. I know I am frequently asked what to do when blank happens. These women are here to answer those questions. So keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Pam, for the review. We really love connecting with listeners and we appreciate each one of you taking the time to tune in to the Together in Literacy podcast. If you would like to leave us a positive review, please do so. We, we greatly enjoy hearing from you. All right. Yes, we love hearing from our listeners. Okay, so today, dive deep into the Peter effect. But before we do, we're going to talk about the importance of, uh, as educators, our knowledge. When we deeply understand something, that means we have a knowledge base, we've We've been trained in the content or a particular approach on any subject. We're able to speak with clarity. We don't have really any confusion here. We're able to clearly express what it is we want to say and the knowledge behind it to be able to back it up with evidence, all of that. And we can do it so well that we can teach it to others. And what a gift that is. We acknowledge that we as educators are always learning. The learning never, ever stops. And that is something we want to discuss with you today, talking about how our deeper knowledge and bridging the research that we learn or the research we conduct into practice in our classrooms or with our tutoring students is going to meet the needs of the people in front of us, our children, our students. Mm -hmm. And that is just an incredibly huge mission and one that we love to talk about with all of you and to honor and to just acknowledge that, yeah, we are just constantly learning, including Casey and I. Right. Yeah, Um, absolutely. I think, you know, through our journey in education, Emily and I, we both came to realize at some point that we needed to seek out a 
deeper knowledge and better understanding of the research and dyslexia and, and how to bridge that research into practice so that we can meet the needs of our students. And, and we continue to do so as, as practitioners um, and therapists in this, in this realm in the dyslexic community, because we know that the science is always changing and we're growing and we can deepen our understanding on this journey as well. Right. In the dyslexic community, I think for a long time, we have agreed that our students and our struggling readers are really, you know, the canaries in the coal mine. And that as we begin to have more conversations about research and the science of reading, I'm starting to see that teachers are really becoming the canaries in the coal mine as they learn more about the research behind reading instruction. And so, you know, that metaphor, the canaries in the coal mine, long ago, coal miners would take canaries with them into the mines and the birds, because they were more sensitive to the dangerous gas, they would often, that was often encountered, they would provide a warning to the miners that something was amiss. And in this process, you know, the canaries were left lifeless in their cages. And luckily this practice is not used any longer, but the metaphor really does remain within our language. And it's often used in regards to education and when we think, you know, to the, the, our students and when they're going through, you know, years of schooling and often interventions and they're making little or no progress and they, they really begin to think that there's something deeply wrong with them. And as teachers and as specialists, when we're working with students who experience this sense of failure, we see those, the deep impacts of that inappropriate instruction, both academically and emotionally. And so our students really are the canaries in the coal mine. They're the ones who are signaling what is wrong first. And yet so often in the field of education, we don't necessarily recognize or pause and reflect on why our kids are being left behind. And I'm starting to see more and more teachers kind of being the canaries in the coal mine as well. And they're calling out and they're saying, you know, this is, this isn't working, or I, I need more information to help myself meet the needs of my students. And I think that that really kind of leads us into what we're talking about today and understand the more we understand as educators, the better we are at providing the needs for our students. So I think not only are our children, you know, the the kind of the warning that something's amiss, but also our teachers in our schools as well. Absolutely. So Casey and I, we realize that, yes, since we have long been working with children with dyslexia, yes, we have seen them as the canaries in the coal mine when things, you know, aren't working for them. Why aren't they working? But I think as we hear from more and more teachers who reach out to us, mm -hmm. whether it be through social media, email, they're crying out to us as well. Yeah, that there's something amiss. And so we want to really take this time to thoughtfully have this conversation and make a few suggestions later on, mm -hmm. but give you a little bit of background first. So when we are talking about this term called the Peter effect, which is sort of our focus of today, the Peter effect and how we can bridge research into practice and um, acknowledging that we are always learning. This term was, it's, it's sort of coined as a biblical term from Peter in the Bible uh, when he was uh, approached by a beggar and said, you know, when asked for money, I cannot give what I do not have. Mm -hmm. And so 
that it was sort of a, a powerful statement in the sense that there is truth behind it. We cannot give what we do not have. And then today we may hear that term. We don't know what we don't know. Right. And so if we cannot help our students without the knowledge that we've been given or the training that we need or support. Mm -hmm. Back in 2004, there was a study by Applegate and Applegate, Anthony and Mary DeConti Applegate, and they were the ones sort of coined this term. And they had done a study to look at teachers who, if they showed their own interest and love in reading, and were avid readers outside of the classroom, then they would be able to impart that onto their students and students would want to learn and love reading as well. Mm -hmm. And certainly teachers are always sharing their love of books, sharing their love of reading. And sure, we want our kids to love reading. We want that, right? But we're gonna take this a step further. We're revisiting the Peter effect with a fresh outlook for 2022. Yes. So in, as Emily said, in 2022, the Peter effect was revisited and we have, there was some researchers from Texas A&M, the university of Texas and the, and the state university of New York, and they came together and they use the Peter effect to look at teacher preparation. Mm. And if we think back to the national reading panel, which came out in 2000, Mm -hmm. and that recommended that teachers have explicit knowledge of concepts such as phonological and phonemic awareness, the alphabetic principle, including phonics um, and morphology in order to effectively teach the decoding skills in a direct and systematic way. They also, they also looked at, you know, how, many of our preparation programs did not provide this information to students, which then left them at a disadvantage in helping all children acquire reading. And so these researchers, they looked at the instruction, the area of reading, especially in the area of that research-based instruction, they really found that teachers who had a deeper knowledge had better outcomes. So Really, those findings just indicate that the coursework in the teacher preparation programs, when they only covered portions of the skills and the knowledge recommended by the National Reading Panel, that students performed less effectively or, you know, in a weaker state than students whose whose teachers had a thorough knowledge of the language system. So, you know, if we're looking at that through that lens, we can, we can see that, you know, those teachers with that deeper knowledge have better outcomes with things like basic language constructs. Yes. So once again, those basic language constructs were phonology, phonemic awareness, alphabetic principle, phonics, and morphology. And, you know, for us, those are our components of structured literacy. Mm-hmm. They were in the National Reading Panel back in 2000, and here we are still talking about it today because it is still extremely relevant. The Texas A&M study, I think, looked very, very carefully at the teacher training, but I think that we, there's a two-part yeah. problem here, and I think we can all agree that it's not just about teacher training. 
or lack of about for pre-service teachers. Let me be clear on Mm -hmm. that. It's not just about the lack of instruction for pre-service teachers, what we're not giving them um, and talking about those basic constructs, but it's the continued training after that we become teachers and that we need to continuously be learning, providing strong professional development and, and offering support to teachers so that they're able to give that knowledge in their classrooms and help their students. Absolutely. And, and as Emily said, right, this is not talking about, well, while the study looked at those teacher preparation programs, it also expanded and looked at that continuing support for all of our teachers, right? And I know for myself, I believe in being a lifelong learner and and I believe Emily does as well. And so we're always seeking that, you know, new information and new knowledge. And I think it's important for us in the education field to continue to to seek that out. Um, But it's also really important for our schools and to provide support to teachers. Sometimes in schools, they tend to be, they may purchase new curriculums or, and then hand them off to the teachers without really providing the necessary training and and ongoing support that makes the, a lasting impact. I know when I first started teaching, there was curriculums that were purchased for us. And what was the most powerful was that the school also purchased ongoing coaching. So once a month, nice. Yes. The coach came in, would observe lessons, give us that immediate corrective feedback and we grew. And, and I think, you know, I attribute a lot of my success with my students directly to that coaching process because I was supported in a way that allowed me to grow and it allowed me to continue to refine my craft as an educator and to help all of my students in my classroom. Yeah. When teachers feel supported, we know that has a direct impact on not just teacher outcomes, student outcomes as well. And I'm sure because you got that monthly coaching, Casey, there was what I refer to um, as teacher buy-in. Teachers felt trusted. Teachers felt that they could trust in that program or in that approach to be able Mm -hmm. to implement it into their classrooms with their students. And so that buy-in had direct positive results for sure. And, you know, we're getting sort of into this conversation with the Peter effect that this is not a blame game on any of you as educators. We are fully acknowledging that there were gaps perhaps in your teacher training in your pre-service and going forward. Mm-hmm. And we can empathize with that because we were in the same positions, Absolutely. whether it was in my undergrad or in my master's program, there was a large gap of knowledge missing from, uh, and first of all, anything to do with the science of reading, but how to effectively teach reading. Yeah. And the researchers really did talk about that too, that, you know, this is not about teachers. We believe in teachers so much. What this is about is, is their findings really talk to the Peter effect in terms of that, even at the higher level, if, if our preparation programs or the the professional development that we're providing to our teachers is provided by someone who does not have that knowledge in 
that basic language construct themselves, then they are not able to deliver that information in a way that is going to be as effective or meaningful for teachers to take. And really that's what it's kind of talking about, right? We can't teach what we don't know. Right. And that, right. that goes from classroom, like where we're talking with the, like the little lady bitties to, you know, our higher ed. So, right. I mean, if we don't really know when to use CH versus TCH, or to be right. able that there's some course, some sort of spelling generalization that can go along with that, then when we are about to teach that to our students and they ask why if we don't have that knowledge base, then there's going to be some misunderstandings. That's just, you know, one little mm -hmm. simple example. Um, I know there's a lot of learning that still needs to be done in the area of morphology that still right. falls under the basic language constructs. Mm -hmm. That is a very broad topic of structured literacy that takes a great deal of learning and it's constantly something that comes back into our instruction. So we acknowledge that for sure. But yeah, I mean, with the Together in Literacy podcast, we're, we so love all our listeners and our mission really here is to provide you just with the info that you need so that you can be those agents of change, whether mm -hmm. it's at the university level or at your school district level. And I know that it's sort of this big overwhelming role to take on because within the, within the daily demands of the classroom, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we really, really can empathize and appreciate that. Uh, but we also realize that we are in a great position in 2022 to now that we have even more research disseminated to more schools that this is the prime time. Yeah. This is your time to make it happen. Yeah. And we want to give you some tips on how to do that. Yeah. And I think, you know, as Emily said, there is this kind of this wave of change coming. There's more and more mm. conversations surrounding what's called, you know, quote unquote, the science of reading, which really is that collective body of research and knowledge. Um, and so what I think is I see happening is that sometimes we have maybe like a little bit of a Band-Aid effect or where people are, you know, saying, well, I'm going to teach the science of reading, but, but that is such a, a wealth of knowledge. Like, what does that actually mean? So I applaud people that are, that are stepping into that realm and into that journey of the science of reading, but just know it, it, it is a lot. It is not a quick fix. It's not something where, you know, you can just purchase something and hand it off to your teachers without training or ongoing support and expect to have this overcoming change, right? Like right. it's going to take time. It's going to take support and it's going to take that deep knowledge because it is, there's so much information and knowledge about reading that's been around a long time, but it's starting to get out there. And I'm just so excited about that. So we mm -hmm. want to make sure that we're providing support because it's not fair to teachers to, to just hand something to them and not support them. And, and it also negatively impacts our students. So, right. Yeah. Casey and I were talking about this earlier. So we, we don't want to offset that whole effect by just throwing a bandaid on some things. Right. <laughs> it sounds like we're not going to put a bandaid on, you know, a, a, a wound that's gushing blood all over the floor here. <laughs> Sorry to, you know, give you that mind picture, but 
truly, we're not just going tossing some program to a grade level or a school and saying, here, here's right. the science of reading or here, we just got a grant. Here's some decodable books, use them with those. Right. We can almost guarantee that things are not going to be done correctly right. without providing some background training. And you all know that. Yeah. And so some ways, you know, Emily and I were talking about maybe some ways in which we can work towards then bridging the research into practice. And, and one of the things, you know, that we talked about, you know, at the beginning of your journey, it's important to just be mindful that how you're feeling, check in because you may feel like really gung ho and excited Mm. about this and ready to just go all in. And then you, you may also be feeling really overwhelmed. It is a lot and it, it, and it may challenge some of our previous learning. So we may have to do some unlearning and then relearning, right? And so I think it's important for us to be mindful of that. And then to think about, okay, how can we wade in, in a meaningful way? Because there is so much information that we want to deepen our knowledge. So that takes wading in and, and really starting to look deeper at approaches and content and what this actually means for our instructional practices. Yeah. And Casey, it's so important because we had mentioned this um, when she and I were discussing, when you're wading in, then you're taking time to adjust maybe to the temperature of the water, Mm -hmm. what your body is comfortable with. When you're ready to, to learn more, you step further in, but by wading in, you're not setting yourself up to drown. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. We don't want that to happen. You're just drowning in so much knowledge coming at (laughs) you from so many different places, groups, social media, your admin, books, articles everywhere. And we are in a huge information age. It's constantly coming at us in little bits, little bite-sized bits here and there. When you may be scrolling, when you see an email. So by wading in, you are adjusting your own mindset. Yes. And I think that's so important. And and a really nice way to wade in is by having maybe a book group where you Mm. choose one book to really dive into, to have conversations, maybe at your school or in with a group of teachers or, or, you know, professionals that you're working with or, or parents so that you can have, start to build that deeper knowledge. I, I always say that, you know, unfortunately, sometimes in education, we tend to create sheet cakes of knowledge yeah, yeah. instead of wedding cakes. So wedding cakes are, are layers and deep and, and really mindful. And that's what we want to have with their science of reading knowledge. We want it to be a wedding cake, not a sheet cake. That's right. With tears. Yeah. So, right. Absolutely. <laughs> and things, things build on there and, you know, mm-hmm. or try to think of it like, you know, when you're building your foundation, just yes. laying that, you know, brick by a brick. And we're doing that for our children too, aren't we? We're building their foundational skills so that they be- can become successful readers. It's the same yeah. for educators for sure. So that book group, you know, just speaks deeply mm-hmm. to me because if anybody's listened to me for a long time, that really was the, that one book group, all it takes mm-hmm just that one book that can start really turning you on to 
having those discussions, yeah, setting up new plans, perhaps considering more trainings, mm-hmm. things like that. But just choosing one book with your colleagues, with whoever, friends, and really digging deep into this. I think, you know, Casey and I can make some suggestions of books um, that we've read over the years that we think really are good professional resources. Mm-hmm. So, and that leads us really to the next thing. And that is, and, and we've been talking about this being mindful, uh, mm-hmm. being mindful of trusted resources. Yes. So as we know, once again, information coming at you from all directions mm-hmm. and it's dizzying. It is like, it's overwhelming. And you know what, Casey, like sometimes, like even me, I've been doing this a long time. You have, you have too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm scrolling and you get into this, like, oh, maybe I should be doing that. Oh, right. I didn't do that. Maybe I should. So we get into this whole thing, mm-hmm. like, oh, feeling a little bit like, well, a little inferior even. Yeah. Or that we're not doing enough. And I think oh, we're not doing enough because they have such big hearts and they want right. to do right by their kids. So that be mindful of that too. And don't fall down that, that little rabbit hole. Yeah. Just- so trusted resources. We yeah. Talk about that. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about people who you, they've done their research here mm-hmm. and they're looking at, I think the whole picture of the science of reading. Right. The, I'm not just talking about looking at it, like just through the lens of anemic awareness mm-hmm. or just more phonics. Right. Cause we know that's not, that's not what we're talking about here, but really digging into all aspects, not only of the research, but of uh, the components of structured literacy. Yeah. And then, many. and then using that to drive curiosity, because I know mm. if I'm reading something and I either, it's either maybe challenging a previous knowledge or belief that I have, or it's something that I'm like, Oh, I never thought of it that way. I always dig further. And I, I try to go deeper into that knowledge and really so that I can understand it at a deep enough level to either shift approaches that I'm doing or, or to, you know, analyze it in a different way. So I think that that's an important thing, but to start with those trusted resources. And, and that, and that may mean, you know, a website, a particular book, a particular author researcher in the mm-hmm. education fields that, you know, has really done their due diligence over time. But I, I have to agree with Casey on that. That's going to not only challenge your thinking, but keep you curious, yeah. wanting to learn more. I think when we get into people who are making definitive statements in certain areas, we have to be really careful about like, this is the one way to do that. I think we have to be cautious about that. I think so. Because if we come back to the Orton Gillingham principles, Mm -hmm. being diagnostic and prescriptive means that it is not always the same one way for everyone. And so, you know, I know Emily's brought this up many times with her fellow and I did as well in my practicums when when people will ask her, you know, well, how do I do this? Well, it depends because it does depend. And so anytime that there are like really hard lines on things, that's always a question for me. And I think that that kind of brings us to the next point of the more that we know, we want to beware to not jump on necessarily bandwagons, like to do your research, to understand what you're doing, because sometimes I see, and I've done this myself, chasing the next shiny, bright thing, 
right? Oh yeah. <laughs> but under, the more you understand about the science of reading, the more you understand structured literacy is not a quick fix. It is a deep knowledge. We're building those deep tiers and it takes time. And so I think, you know, if you're chasing the next shiny, bright thing, we may lose sight of that deep knowledge that we're trying to achieve with students. Yeah. And that bright, shiny thing just might be a very compelling statement made mm-hmm. or a new study that of one way of looking at something. Yeah. And I think we have to remember, we need to stay grounded in our knowledge base of the science of reading and looking at it really as a big picture here and finding those trusted resources and digging into that research. So yeah, the, those shiny and bright things, yeah, can look differently. <laughs> and the science of reading really, it's a collective of research. So right. it's not just one person's research. It is, you know, this this knowledge that's coming together that's that we're be able to create. Yes, this is what is working. This is what we need to do. So right. We also have just a few more items here. We were thinking that, okay, well, how do I get started? I really want to start mm-hmm. digging into the science of reading and seeing how I can bridge that change in my classroom. Maybe you have been reading about science of reading research and structured literacy. Well, I mean, you're not really sure how this is all going to translate into the classroom. And we just thought, well, you know what? Why don't you just pick, start with just one thing? Yeah. And, and you can do that in a way that's really going to be meaningful for your class. So if you look at your data, you know, and you, you take one component based on that data to address the needs of your students and start from there and build from there, because you want to, to strive for that deeper understanding of structured literacy and the science of reading. And, and when we do that through the lens of just kind of targeting one area, I think that that makes it really manageable for people. It also allows people the time to grow and to gain that knowledge that's necessary and allows them to really be diagnostic and prescriptive as they're moving towards that structured literacy approach. Right. So for instance, if you're, you know, working in a K-1 classroom and you're like, oh, I still have got some kids that they're really not blending their CBC words. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we can look at that, uh, some data collection that you've done so far and, and take a look, okay, well, what do I need to do maybe in the areas of phonemic awareness mm-hmm. and, or building more area, you know, um, knowledge base in their phonological awareness. Mm-hmm. And that could just be that one thing that you're focusing on. And I know when we focus on doing just one thing really well, instead of trying to multitask this thing, this thing, this thing, we can work on doing that that one thing well and then work on building. Because what's going to happen in your data is you're going to realize, oh, hmm, they can't blend because of this, because of this. So it's going to help you backtrack a bit yeah. and lead you down a trail that is going to help drive your future plans for me- remediation. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so... Emily and I thought, you know, we had a a listener question that kind of came in that we thought we were just going to weave into our conversation today because it makes sense here. So um, the listener question was, you know, what do I need to do or what can I do when my administration demands that I do, quote unquote, the science of reading without any support or materials? So I had received that from a kindergarten teacher who was just like, 
okay, my principal just said we have to do science of reading, but we haven't been given anything. First of all, I want to make this point really clear. You can write this down too. I think you need to write it down. Teachers matter more than the program. Yeah. You matter. All right. It's not going to be just one program that is going to be the magic bullet here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nope. Right. It is going to start with, once again, building knowledge and deepening understanding. Mm-hmm. So if your principal is saying, here, go do science of reading, we got to start. The, the state's telling us we need to do this. Right. Where is that coming from? That's coming from a source of urgency on behalf of your admin, first of all, okay? Mm -hmm. Because they're getting the heat and they're passing that heat on down to you and you're trying to stay above water in 2021, 2022 school year, which is challenging enough. So you matter more than the program. Mm -hmm. And because of that, we really believe that you should be, okay, you know what? I'm excited. I want to learn about the science of reading. I want to help that. I want to help my students succeed. Uh, what kind of training are you offering us? Okay. Start there. And from the training, perhaps, I don't know whether it, a lot of schools are suggesting going into letters training. That's one. This particular teacher was told science of reading this year, but letters training might not be coming for another year. And I'm not really sure how that method would be set up for success without the proper training. As Casey was saying, this is a very deep and wide knowledge base and it's not meant to overwhelm you. And it's something that we don't just dive right in. We look very, very carefully and at all aspects, all aspects, excuse me, of structured literacy. We look at our assessment data and we see what our kids need. And from there, it's not going to be maybe any one program. I mean, it's going to be several different pieces that you bring in. Certainly having wide collection of decodable readers is going to be something that you want to look at. But without knowing how to use those effectively, those are just more books on your shelves. Right. So... We want to make sure that, you know, our teachers are supported. And as Emily said, that it's teachers that teach. And so, you know, creating some alignment in your grades, you know, if you're looking at scope and sequence, um, things like that, you know, you can, can start to look at and, and see how you're approaching that. Look at how you're laying the foundational pieces like phonology, but really, yeah, asking for that support because I looking at research and, and understanding, you know, the Peter effect, it's not fair to ask people to put into place something that they don't know. That's a recipe for disaster. So we want people to be supported. So I think, you know, some other things that you can do, and I know that sometimes our hands are tied when we're working in schools. Um, but, you know, going back to the, maybe those book conversations, book groups, and then maybe exploring some deeper training because, Um, And I know teachers are amazing at this. They seek knowledge on their own. So finding those reputable, trusted resources and start to look at it that way. But then ask, ask for that training and support from your admin as well. I think that really has to be just part of the whole package here. Not just 
here. We, we bought this program for you. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we, there has, I think starting of course with teacher training, I think looking, taking a very, very close look at whatever progression or scope and sequence that you have that is building in those skills systematically using explicit and direct instruction Mm -hmm. over time, building those foundational skills of reading and looking very closely at your assessment data. What is it showing? Yeah. And also making decisions on the assessment tools that you're using. Some assessment tools are 1000% not going to reveal what your student has mastered in their foundational skills. Exactly. If it's not aligned with what you're doing, it's it's a waste of time. There are assessments that are not aligned with the the science of reading. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other episode, but we may do or may not do down (laughs) the road, but you know, (laughs) we may not have dug in deeply enough to answer that, but at least we believe once again, back to teachers matter more than programs. You matter in the Peter effect. You cannot give what you don't have. Exactly. Yeah. And I I think, you know, unless teachers are trained in the research and the application of how to use that systematic synthetic phonics and Mm. the structured literacy components, we will continue to leave the canaries in the coal mine, both the students and the teachers. And when we think about the Peter effect, we want to bring that awareness to the teacher knowledge, the understanding that when we have that deep knowledge base, then we are teaching. It's not curriculums that are teaching. It's the teachers that are teaching. And that is what we want to have in place. So, right. And when you have that knowledge base, I can 100% guarantee you are going to feel so much more confident in what you are doing for your students. And that is a really good feeling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one wants to be in a place of confusion. We totally understand that. So we are going to wrap up though this episode and hopefully we've given you a lot of bigger ideas to think about, take back, think about a book group, look carefully at what is going on in your classrooms, in your school districts, who are the canaries? Yeah. Um, what is what is your what are your students trying to tell you? What are your teachers trying to tell you? If you're an administrator listening to this episode, mm-hmm. um, how how can you support them in building their knowledge? So we um, we just thought this was a great episode and talked about the Peter effect. You want to talk about another effect that will be coming up, Casey? Yes. So the Peter effect <laughs> is really talking about the educator role, right? Yes. And educator knowledge. And so we are going to, in our next episode, talk about the Matthew effect, Ooh. which kind of goes through the lens of the student. So make sure you stay tuned to the next episode for that. And as always, we greatly appreciate any positive reviews and feedback and always feel free to send in your questions. Emily and I love to highlight them and answer them and you, your question may show up on the show. Yeah. And our email support at togetherinliteracy.com and we will see you next time. Bye everyone. Bye.
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.